felt like I fought so long for freedom, so long for having the right to make my mark on the world, so long to not be ruled by men. And I had succeeded. It worked. I had put in everything I am and everything I have into making it a success. And when I saw how easy it was for one man to just disappear, it almost killed me. I'm not gonna sit here and say, oh yes, I was fine. No, the first two months were hell. Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Julia Hart. Julia is the CEO, co-owner, and chief creative officer of Elite World Group, a leading talent media agency in fashion and entertainment. She's also the author of the best-selling book, Brazen, My Unorthodox Journey from Long Sleeves to Lingerie, and star of the Netflix reality series, My Unorthodox Life. In case her book title or TV show isn't indication enough, Julia has an incredible story about leaving an insular Jewish Orthodox community in Muncie, New York at the age of 42. Though she left with no formal education or even contacts in the world outside of her community, Julia managed to become a successful self-made entrepreneur and businesswoman. First, by starting her own designer shoe brand, then becoming the creative director of the luxury lingerie brand La Perla, and finally becoming CEO and co-owner of a leading global talent agency, Elite World Group. Julia's professional accomplishments are extraordinary for someone coming from such a sheltered background. But her achievements haven't come easily, and as you'll hear in our interview, nor have her challenges ended now that she's found success. My full conversation with Julia Hart right after this quick break. Julia Hart, thank you so much for joining Imposters. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm so excited to be here. So you have an amazing and admirable story growing up in an insular Orthodox community to then becoming a successful entrepreneur and now CEO. It's definitely an unusual story. Now, I think (laughs) we'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about your experience growing up in the community that you did and when it was that you first started to feel that that wasn't the life you wanted to lead. So can you take us back and talk a little bit about your upbringing in the community? So, you know, I always say, and I I will just keep reiterating, that I have nothing against a single human being in that world. I don't think there's any intention to harm or to cause pain. I think that these are old archaic laws that have been around for centuries that maybe perhaps a couple thousand years ago, that's the way the entire world was structured. Today, the things we know, those rules by still existing, cause tremendous trauma and pain to many women who have to live in that. And I think to encapsulate what's the most difficult about my world, I would divide it into two different pieces. Number one is the fact that you are defined by your destiny, meaning that the concept is that all women are put on this earth for the same reason, to have children and to raise them to be 
holy wives of holy men, or if they're sons to be scholars and leaders of the Jewish people. This concept that your biology defines your purpose in life is a torturous one because there are men who want to be caregivers, who love to stay at home and watch their children, who are shy and uncomfortable in public settings and who want nothing more than to take care of their children. There are women who are forward-facing, who are not shy and quiet, who have something to share with the world, who want to be leaders and, and at the forefront of modernization and change, whether they're artists or singers or designers or business people, they're not allowed to do that either. So this concept that all women are the same and all men are the same, it eradicates individuality. It completely forces you into a position that is antithetical to your nature because you're being told as a person that who you intrinsically are as a human being is that. And that's a very painful conundrum to live with it. What I was proposed as the perfect woman, a perfect woman can only achieve greatness through a man. And that is a very painful concept because you know, you're, you're taught Lashem Daitan Kalos, a woman's mind is light. You're taught that not only are you not required to study the Talmud and the Gemara and the Mishnah, where all the laws that govern our lives are, you're taught it's forbidden. Half the bookshelf in my house, I wasn't allowed to read. And these are religious tomes. So that was part one, this idea that because we are all women, we're supposed to be silent, obedient. And the second one, which basically encapsulates every waking minute and sleeping minute of my life, was this concept of tznias, of modesty. The idea of a woman being modest is based on the concept that a man cannot control his own behavior and that a woman is thereby responsible from keeping him from sinning. That is the concept of modesty. I mean, think about that. A woman can't sing in public in front of men because a man may hear her voice and have sexual thoughts about her. A woman can't dance in public because a man may have sexual thoughts of her. A woman can't speak in public, be forward facing, be a CEO or a boss because men will look at her and have bad thoughts. The way she dresses head to toe covered is because if a man sees her elbow, I know elbows are the sexiest thing in the universe and men have paroxysms of orgasms over elbows, but whatever, we will leave that alone for a minute. But the idea is above your collarbone, above your elbow, above your knees, below your knees, and below and above your ankles all have to be covered. Why? Because your body's dangerous. So, of course, that whole concept that men are incapable of controlling themselves, that I am responsible from their behavior, and that my life has to be this small so that they shouldn't learn how to control themselves, it almost killed me. It's an absurd and ludicrous concept. Julia endured this way of living for 42 years of her life. And it wasn't until she started to see her youngest daughter suffering from the rigidity of these orthodox rules that she decided to take action. I was literally living in skin that didn't feel my own because who I am as a person is not meek, mild, obedient, subservient, silent, and behind the scenes. I'm an inventor, I'm a creator, I'm a businesswoman, 
I love working. I want to work and create and invent and change the world. And I was told that all of that is evil and makes me a bad person. And then Miriam, my, my third child, I'm in my 30s. She was three or four years old. And she's incredibly athletic, in addition to being crazy brilliant and the youngest person in Stanford University to ever give a class. She gave a class on augmented reality as a freshman, and she never even saw a computer until she was 13 and literally taught herself how to code off of YouTube. So this is a very hardworking, ambitious, like her mama girl, and we don't like to lose, right? We're fighters. We, we go for it. So she's around four or five years old, and she says she wants to play soccer. And my husband tells his four-year-old daughter, no, you can't. And she says, why? And my husband said, because your skirt can lift up, right? Because you're not allowed to wear pants, right? So you have to, you're forced to play sports in a skirt. You can imagine how much facility of movement that gives you. So here she is playing. She just wants to play soccer. She's four years old in a skirt. And she's told no. Because your skirt may lift up, a man may see your knees and have bad thoughts. Now, what kind of sick, twisted person will have bad thoughts about a four-year-old's knees? I don't even want to go there. But the point is, she couldn't play soccer because some man would think something. And she looked at my husband in her little squeaky four-year-old voice and said, but does that mean you're responsible for my actions? And I was like, yeah, what she said, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So all the questions in my mind that I had, my community had literally convinced me that I was the crazy person, that I wasn't happy in my role. All the other women around me were perfectly content to be mothers and wives and subservient and obedient. They were fine. On that point, because you said, you know, basically until you got to this experience with Miriam, you just basically believed you were the crazy one. For the majority of your life growing up in this community, would you say that you were happy and you'd become just okay with the status quo? Like you didn't even start to question it or were you unhappy the whole time, but there was no alternative? Unhappy the whole time. Unhappy the whole time and feeling guilty the whole time for my unhappiness. It was... I don't, it's almost impossible to explain what it feels like. On one hand, your, your soul, your, your psyche is calling out. I love to draw. I love to learn. I love to do this and that. Why can't I? And then the part of you that says, but you want to be good. You want God to love you. And that side would say, Julia, you're a monster. How dare you desire these things? Who do you think you are? You're smarter than God. And so this was the conversation in my head for 42 years. And so you leave the community at 42 years old with your daughter. And up to that point, you had minimal work experience. You had no formal education. What <laughs> like, what, what was the game plan? <laughs> so I'm not sure I, you know... If you read the, you've read the book, it's not much of a game plan, meaning my basic, I didn't, the beauty is I knew so little, but I didn't even realize how absurd and ridiculous it was for me to just pick up and start a fashion brand. Like I'd never heard of 
PR and marketing. I didn't know about fashion weeks and about merchandising and I knew nothing. To me, you draw things and then they somehow magically appear in, 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 in reality and that's fashion. So, you know, I'd been drawing my whole life. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to draw things and we're going to make them real and it should be easy. Hey, I just time traveled 200 years. <laughs> if I can time travel, I can make a shoe brand. <laughs> and that was literally my thinking. My thinking was I left 18th century Europe and I came to the 21st century at 42 years of old without knowing a single human being, without anyone knowing me, without any education. And it's a, it's a very strange dichotomy because people meet me and they're like, oh, she's, you know, very knowledgeable or brilliant, whatever, whatever, whatever. But then on the other hand, there are holes, giant holes in things that a 14-year-old would know, but I haven't experienced yet. Like you what? know, like, um, oh my goodness, I, so many things. Like, okay, recent, recent ones. Okay, you ready? This is so embarrassing. Yeah, yeah let's hear it. <laughs> oh my God, this is terrible. Okay, so recent, recent things that I've learned about. So I think it was a year ago or two, maybe two years ago, um, I got invited by Caring to watch Thelma and Louise with Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. And I walk in and I, 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 you know, I have event after event sometimes, so I don't always notice exactly what I'm walking into. Uh -huh. I ask someone, what, what, what is this? What, what am I here for? And they explain to me that we're watching this movie. Okay. We all get in there and everybody's talking while the movie's playing. And I'm sitting there shushing everybody because I've never seen it. I didn't know what Thelma and Louise was. I didn't realize it was this like iconic feminist badass, like we're going to live life on our own terms. And I'm literally sitting there, tears streaming down my face, shushing people. <laughs> that is amazing. And then um, the person who came with me is like, Julia, you'd think you'd never seen it. And I was thinking to myself, oh, honey, I have never seen it. Yeah, I definitely it. have never seen it. <laughs> that is awesome. So it's just like things like that are like um, six months ago, someone shows me this video of something called voguing, voguing. It's like this dancing where they do this stuff with their hands, voguing. Have you ever heard of I this? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh, I feel so much better. Okay. <laughs> Though some of the gaps in Julia's knowledge are easy to make light of, there are others that have cost her greatly. More on that and how Julia found confidence in her career despite having no prior business experience right after this quick break. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And we're back. Before the break, Julia described her experience of growing up in her insular Orthodox community, Muncie, New York, and what it was like to first break out of that. And as one would expect, once she plunged herself into the business of fashion, she had big gaps in her knowledge. 
For instance, Julia is now in a legal dispute over what was supposed to be 50% ownership of a business she worked so hard to grow. And to put it mildly, the experience has been a stark wake-up call. Something that I've realized just in building my business in Morning Brew is that one of the most important things as an entrepreneur for you to end up realizing is what your blind spots are. Because if you don't know what your blind spots are, then you don't have an awareness to uncover them or hire people in to take care of them, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say for you, it's it's just exaggerated. It's just an exaggerated version of the typical blind spots that... Well, that's the worst part. Yeah, exactly. And so from your perspective, hindsight's twenty twenty. but even moving forward, like, how do you curate your life? What are the things you do in business or in career to try and uncover these blind spots or have the right people around you to take care of them, you knowing yourself that they're just things that are missing. So to your point, that is actually exactly what I did. Knowing that these are not expertises I have, I leaned on the people who had that expertise and who I trusted to guide me and do the right thing for me. There's an accountant who, you know, we're suing for fraud. He works at DDK. That is a very legitimate, you know, accounting firm. Silvio was this guy who was called the, uh, not the mastery classifier, he was called like the genius, something related to how great he is at playing with numbers and moving them in different directions. Yep, yep. This man is like so adept at avoiding taxes. I, it's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. And so to your point, I knew what my weak spots were. And that's why the only thing in the business that Silvio did was the financials because that is not my strength. I am not an accountant. And believe it or not, and this is pretty shocking, when I came into the company, there was no CFO. A global company of, I think at the time, there was 15 or 17 agencies without any CFO. And it was it was such an, a mess. Wild. Anyway, it's wild. So the first thing I did is say, hey, I need a CFO. This is not my area of expertise. I need a financially sound, brilliant mind who I can lean on. So to your point, Alice, it's exactly what I did. I knew my weak spots and I went and filled them with the absolutely wrong people with my husband, who's supposedly this genius reclassifier and a, an accountant who comes from a very reputable firm. They're the ones who did all that structure. So when I asked them, do these documents make me equal? And I am told, yes, I believe that. So what I've learned is actually, it's not enough to hire people for things I don't know. I have to become proficient as much as I can in everything. I can't help but be impressed by Julia's composure when talking about this experience. Not only is it a blow to lose out on millions of dollars that you worked hard for, but also to be betrayed by your own spouse, someone you should be able to trust so deeply. And though Julia is resilient, this loss had a heavy impact on her. It hit me really hard because I felt like I'd fought so long for freedom, so long for having the right to make my mark on the world, so long to not be ruled by men. And I had succeeded. It worked through COVID. It worked. I had done it. I had put in everything I am and everything I have into making it a success. And when I saw how easy it was for one man to just 
disappeared. We gave hundreds of documents to show that never got a salary. Everything went to Silvio. He just determined where things went and what, what entity paid for anything. I have thousands of documents, literally made no difference. How easy it was for him to demolish my reputation and to steal the equity in my company, it almost killed me. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yes, I was fine. And I, you know, I know the first two months were hell. I was destroyed. I stopped sleeping. I stopped eating. Um, I was not in a good place. I, you know. How, how do you get out of it? When that came down and I realized that this man was winning on a technicality and stealing everything I had worked for, I literally collapsed on the floor in a little ball and just wanted to die. And a guardian angel named Ellen Gavin, who is an extraordinary woman, a tremendous feminist, um, while I'm sitting on the floor, hysterically crying, of course, she doesn't know what's happened yet. It's, it hasn't hit the press yet. I just find out. She calls me and she tells me that, um, she leaves me a voice memo that she has tickets to a show called Suffs. And she was going to go and it's about the suffragette movement, but she's got COVID, do I want to go instead? And I'm literally thinking to myself, is she crazy? I'm sitting here on the floor, hysterically crying. I'm going to a Broadway show today. But then she went on to describe what it was, and it's all about the suffragette movement and what women went through. And I said to myself, you know what, Julia, you get up off the floor, you fucking get dressed, and you go to the show. And I did. I went to the show, and it's about women demanding equality and fighting for their voice and their right to be heard. And there is a scene in there where they are in jail, right, because they were imprisoned, and then they were literally stuck in a dungeon and force-fed for six months and they're in jail and they're being force fed and they don't give up. They don't give up. And I walked out of there. Sorry, I get a little emotional. It's all good. I walked out of there and I told myself, Julia Hart, you fucking suck it up. You are not the first woman to go through this. And if you, don't make a lot of noise and fight for this, you won't be the last. If I'm not gonna fight, who's gonna fight? So from that Friday on, my psyche changed and I felt part of a sisterhood, a generational sisterhood of women who have been fighting to be heard. And if they didn't give up in jail, if they didn't give up after, forget about just having bad press about themselves. They were arrested and force-fed and they didn't give up. Then I can suck it up and take it like a man or a woman or a person or however you want to say it. And I can fight this. And that's what I'm doing. So since that moment, I will not cry. I will not sink to the ground. I will not get depressed. I am going to fight this. Though Julia is currently dealing with a legal dispute over her business, I think it's important to not let it overshadow the incredible things she's already accomplished in a true entrepreneurial spirit. I want to talk for uh, a few minutes just about your shoe brand because we we talked a little while ago about 
You basically come into this new life at 42. There isn't really a game plan. But also that was like the beauty of starting a business when you just, you don't know what you don't know, but you just believe you can do anything in, in a lot of ways. But talk about the act of building the business, pulling it off. So having these ideas of designs, turning them into products, selling the product, raising money. Like, how were you able to raise money for a business when you had no entrepreneurial experience? How do you get people to risk their hard-earned money on you? So basically, it's to your exact point. You know, I had the natural talent, but I didn't have any of the background. Uh, And so I didn't know how insane what I was doing was. And so I just started, right? I, I took a place at WeWork. I flew to Italy. I figured out how shoes were made so then I could figure out how to unmake them and remake them in a better way. I literally sat in the Georgia sink until someone noticed me and literally picked me up and took me to a fashion party where the head buyer of Harrods saw my shoes. And when she made an order, everybody, not everybody else, but Farfetch made an order and Gaby Lafayette made an order and then Dubai made an order. And all of a sudden I was being sold from so many different places. So it was, I think the fastest way to answer is it is three things that I think I did that nothing can guarantee success, but it can guarantee the best possible chance at success. And I would say, number one, have a vision. Meaning my vision was I was going to start this brand that for the first time was going to eradicate the concept of suffering for beauty. Women, I didn't want women to suffer for any reason whatsoever. And so I wanted to change shoes so that a woman could feel elegant and tall and beautiful in a high heel without having to suffer. So you need to have a specific goal and a niche, and it has to be in your mind at all times. That's part one. Part two, you have to have so much faith and belief in yourself that it's ridiculous because everyone else will tell you what you can't do. Everybody. And they love to tell you how it's done. And while we do it, I don't want to hear the word, how it's done. I don't care. I want to know how it should be done, how it could be done. I don't care how it's done. So not knowing how it was done was tremendously helpful for me because I didn't have to unlearn bad habits. I had to create new ones. So that would be number two. Number three is talking to yourself. Now that sounds crazy. But so many voices will get in your head and tell you how impossible it is. Saying things out loud has tremendous power. Just like a story has power, saying something to yourself, telling yourself a story has enormous power. Every morning I give myself a pep talk in my mirror. I watch myself talking to myself. I know it sounds crazy, but it works. So today's, my talk today was threefold. Um, three issues that I'm facing today. And I thought to myself, this is how I'm going to handle all three of them. And then I looked myself in the mirror and said, Julia, you can handle these. You will handle these and you will be fine. And I went about my day. And hearing those things out loud make an enormous difference. So by talking to yourself, you are literally psyching yourself into strength and power. So talk to yourself. And then the last thing that I would say is, Be an internal student. I don't understand why people stop being proud of how quickly they learn once they graduate college. 
most people I know my age talk about how much they already know. I'm an expert in Y, and I know Z, and I am the quintessential <laughs> guru of X. They're so proud of what they know that they're not actually cognizant of the fact that the world around them is constantly evolving and changing, and they're not taking the time to recognize what they don't know. Instead of patting yourself on your back on how much you know, stop it, use that hand to open some books and learn something new because the world is not static. And what you knew yesterday does not help you tomorrow. There's so much good stuff there, but I want to focus on the second thing that you said. And the second thing you said was, you need to just have so much confidence in your ability to push through and to do it because everyone is going to tell you you can't do something and this is how it was done. How much, if at all, throughout, especially the early parts of your journey building your brand, did self-doubt creep in? Did fear creep in? Did imposter syndrome creep in? And if any of it crept in, how were you able to hold onto that while also holding onto this belief that you really need to believe in yourself because no one else will believe in you unless you do? That's where fake it till you make it comes in, although my soon-to-be ex loves to use it as proof that I'm a liar. <laughs> what it actually means is fake confidence until you can feel confidence. That's what fake it till you make it mean. It means all that self-doubt, all that insecurity, all those voices in your head, all that imposter syndrome, fake it. Fake feeling confident. And the more you fake feeling confident, eventually you will become confident. I am literal proof of that. Because when I first came out, I was confident about literally nothing. I knew, you know, now I'm telling you funny things about voguing and movies. When I came out, I'd never been to a bar. I'd never been on a date with someone I chose. I'd never kissed a man that I chose. I knew nothing about contracts. I, everything in my world was done with a handshake. I knew nothing. I was a naive five-year-old. Of course I wasn't confident. I was scared to open my mouth to show how little I know of the 21st century. But I had to pretend to be confident. And I think everyone's way of pretense is different. I think for women, a lot of it has to do with their attire and the way they comport themselves. When I felt beautiful, I felt confident. And for me, of course, uncovering my body was such an act of tremendous freedom. It was taking control for the first time of my life of my own body. So I think for me, it was through fashion that I was able to garner strength. Well, I'll say the other thing that just stands out to me, and maybe this is just your way of being, but I know that not everyone is this way. And I think it, it is just an amazing not just asset in career, but just a great thing to have as a human being is optimism. Like you just are optimistic. It, just being an optimistic person attracts other good optimistic people. And it's like such a valuable quality to have that unfortunately not everyone does have. What I keep on telling people is think of what you've been through and you're still alive. That should give you everything you need to find joy. I mean, look, I've time traveled 200 years. I started an industry in a world I didn't recognize. I, you know, I have a TV show and a best-selling book. I've come pretty far. Yeah. So of course I have faith and hope in the future. 
you know, I believe that if you work hard and you are pure of heart and you want to do good, that the universe will help you. When people listen to this episode and hopefully they watch your show, they read your book, what do you hope that people most take away from your story? What I really want, the reason I wrote the book, and you so you know how I've written the book, it's very open. I show all the embarrassing bumps and bruises, but that's what I want. I want people to see that it's messy and it's complicated and it's confusing and you can make mistakes and you can have a hundred flaws, but you can still do it. There are so many women who are sitting there at home miserable out of their minds, contemplating suicide, or just wishing for the day to end, and they don't realize they can. I want them to know that they can. That's the only reason for all of this. Julia Hart, thank you so much for joining Imposters. (laughs) Bye, guys. When I asked Julia what prompted her to approach Netflix with her idea for her series, My Unorthodox Life, she told me it had been the right moment because she had already made a name for herself in business. Prior to writing her book and pitching her TV show, Julia hid her upbringing from everyone because she didn't want to be seen as just her past. Julia says she thinks of her life in two halves, the first half being what was done to her, and the second half is what she's done. And this second half has been impressive to say the least. Julia's confidence, boldness, and ingenuity is something that I think every entrepreneur, leader, or even emerging professional can learn from. And because of her resilient and fighting spirit, I have a feeling that this second half is far from done. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Imposters. A quick note for listeners, starting next week, instead of our usual Tuesday release day, we'll now be releasing new episodes on Wednesdays. That's Wednesdays instead of Tuesdays. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our senior producer is Vishnu Valvanani and Makila Heck is our producer. Brian Henry is our executive producer and A.B. Silver is our booking producer. Our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Greg Jacobs is our video producer and Sarah Singer is our VP of Multimedia. Our theme song is by The Mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. <laughs>